if you have a Bible with you today, we're looking at John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. So I say to you, hear the word of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. <laughs> and two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. And they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked on him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him on whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would come again. You would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you would um, find us where we are and that those who are seeking would find you. I pray that you would be in my head and in my thinking, in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. Jesus' name we pray all of these things, amen and amen. So some people ask, you know, how do you come up with your sermon series? You know, what, what, what makes you preach this instead of that, right? And remember back a year ago or so, I did a 15-part series on race and ethnicity because that was really like in the front of people's minds. And sometimes it's just a weird providence that makes me decide what I'm going to be preaching about. And so came back from sabbatical and I was saying, oh gosh, what should I do? I wanted to do a book of the Bible. And then my daughter was home from West Point and one night she said, Dad, you have to watch this movie with me. And have you seen this movie, Dear Evan Hansen? She said, you have to watch this movie with me. And I'm like, come on, is it any good? You know, a bunch of teenagers. And she said, trust me, Dad. So I'm not kidding. I don't know what, what point in the movie I was sitting on my couch holding hands with my 25-year-old daughter, bawling my eyes out, <laughs> watching this movie. And basically, it's, a, it's about a teenager with social anxiety disorder who his therapist makes him write letters to himself. His name is Evan Hansen, right? I'm familiar with a therapist telling someone to write letters to himself. And so he writes these letters, Dear Evan Hansen, you're good enough, you're smart enough, doggone it, people like you. You know, those kind of letters. And he has one of those letters with him one day, and, and a bully takes it from him, and the bully has all these issues, and I'm not spoiling anything, really. The bully ultimately is found to have committed suicide. And his parents are completely distraught because this bully was just like emo, he had no friends, and they find this letter that says, Dear...
You are such a great person. You are the, and they think that their son has one friend, Evan Hansen. And so they go and find Evan Hansen. And they said, tell us all about our son. And Evan's like, um, 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 um. And he really tries to do the right thing, but he's overwhelmed by the weight of expectation. And so he just starts making things up to, to make the family feel better. And by the way, it's a musical. And by the way, if you like The Greatest Showman, it's this, the, people, the same people that did that music, so it has that vibe to it. And so all of these songs, and I've watched the movie. A lot of people think I watch a lot of movies. I don't. I watch the same movies a lot of times. <laughs> I think I've seen this movie about four times now. Because there was something about it that Evan, all these songs he was singing, and the, the, the main song, sort of the, the one, sort of the crescendo of the whole movie, was the song, You Will Be Found. Right? He has to speak at the memorial service for this kid who committed suicide. And he chokes, and suddenly, of course, how do you, when, when you're a teenager with social anxiety disorder, and you're not sure what to do, just start singing. And that's what he does. And the song he sings is, You Will Be Found. And, and I'm just going to read you some of the, the lyrics. It's hard not to sing it if you know it, right? Because even when the dark comes crashing through, even when you need a friend to carry you, when you're broken on the ground, you will be found, right? And all these lonely teenagers are listening to it. All these social, people who are just sucked up in social media. So he says, so let the sun come streaming in because you'll reach up, you'll rise again, lift up your head and look around. You will be found. He says it five or six times. You will be found, right? Everyone, ha, ha, ha. And the thing is that's so interesting to me that caught my eye about the movie is he sings that song, but he never, not one time, says, who will find you? Never. Or how you will be found. In other words, what I learned as I watched that movie over and over again, that what Evan is singing about is not reality, but what he hopes to be reality. All of the things that he tells the family are things that he wishes were true about himself. All the things that he says about, about the the other the kid who died was things he wishes were true about him and when he sings this song you will be found he does not have any hope at all but he wishes that were true that you will be found and and it goes viral right millions of people are watching it on youtube and people are commenting on it everyone needs to hear this you will be found but as soon as you ask the question by whom the record screen you know it's like what do you mean well, the only way you can be found is if there is someone who's seeking you and someone who wants to find you. Now, here's the good news of the gospel. And that made me think, by the way, how do we get to this sermon series of the gospel of John? The gospel of John is all about finding and being found. As I was reading through the text this morning, did, you, did, you, did it strike you at all how many times the word find or found came up? Jesus found them, he found this, they found him, he went and found his brother. Everyone's finding all over the place. And as you go through the Gospel of John, what you see over and over again is Jesus finding people. Right? The woman at the well, the, the man at the pool of Bethsaida, the, the, uh, John chapter 12, which I forgot to write it down. I forgot to write anything down. He finds oh, Lazarus and, and his sisters. Jesus is constantly finding people. The, the, remember when Jesus in the, in the book of Mark articulates his own mission in life. Jesus, why did you come here? The Son of Man came to do what? To seek and save that which is lost. Jesus came to find people. Specifically, he came to find that which is lost. 
And so as you look at the Gospel of John, it's all over the place. And so when we sing about the fact that you, know, we, you will be found, we actually know that in Jesus there is a realization to that finding. What Evan hoped for, you and I experience or can experience if you haven't experienced it yet. So we're going to look at three things this morning. We're basically going to look at the invitation of Jesus. We're going to look at the work of evangelism. And we're going to look at the call of the gospel. This is one of my favorite. I used to teach church planters all the time. If you want to know what it, what it takes to plant a church, if you understand this passage, you got it. If you understand this passage, you understand what it means to do evangelism if you've been at church for any amount of time. So let's look first at the invitation of Jesus. Verse 35 says, The next day, again, John, that's John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard this, as the two disciples heard this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. And so they came and they saw where he was staying and he stayed with them that day for it was about the 10th hour. So notice, first of all, that John the Baptist is still on the scene. That's what we've been looking at as we've been heading up, sort of building up to this passage. Last week, John, the passage we looked at, John just said, Behold the Lamb of God, generally speaking, sort of to the crowds or to the religious people. And now he's standing with two of his own disciples, and he sees Jesus coming, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. In other words, that's him. That's the one of whom I've spoken about. And part of John's greatness is John isn't trying to draw a crowd to himself, although he did. Remember, John's mission was to point to someone else, was to point to Jesus, And to those who are most devoted to him, even to them, he says, that one is the one you want, not me. Right? See, the best preachers point to Jesus, not to themselves. That's what John does. John says, behold the Lamb of God. And and implicit in that is he's the one you need to be following, not me. And so the two disciples follow him. It says, two disciples heard this, verse 37, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, literally in the Greek, I imagine Jesus walking, and then just stopping and turning around, what do you want? That's what he said to them, what do you want? And they said to him, um, 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 <laughs> they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, were they concerned about where he was living? No, that, that's probably an, an obtuse Middle Eastern way of saying, Kim, will, will you show us hospitality? They're not just going to come right out and say, can we stay with you? They're like, well, where are you staying? And Jesus' response is is one of the most important responses you're going to find in all the Gospels and all the New Testament. In verse 39, he said to them, come and see. Again, in Greek, literally, it just says, come and see. You want to know about Jesus? Come and see. Jesus invites them to follow him. Jesus invites them to consider who he is. Jesus doesn't say to them, because obviously they're following him, obviously Jesus knows what they want, and he, but he doesn't say, he doesn't turn around and say, what do you want? And they say, where are you staying? And he says, what are your credentials? In other words, they're sort of asking, can we follow you? And any good rabbi would say, what are your credentials? 
Show me what you offer. Show me, like, show me your SAT scores. Show me your grade point average. Show me all of the, the events that you've participated in, all the clubs of which you're a member. And once I've evaluated all of that, then I'll tell you whether or not it's okay for you to follow me. They basically start following him and say, can, can we check you out? And Jesus doesn't put any qualification. He just says, come and see. Jesus, the, Jesus is constantly inviting us to come and see. Jesus has, not only does Jesus have nothing to hide, but Jesus wants to be found. Jesus wants to be found. He wants us to seek him. God wants us to seek him. The, the call to worship I use today from Jeremiah, seek me and you will find me. God wants to be found. Jesus wants to be found. And so he says to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now what's interesting is once someone has been found. So this is Andrew and some unnamed disciple. Most commentators think the unnamed disciple is actually John himself, the one who wrote this gospel. So so let's say Andrew and John have been found by Jesus. They've said, can we follow you? And Jesus, Jesus says, come and see. And so having been found by Jesus, the most natural thing in the world is to become a finder oneself. In other words, once you have been found, you cannot help but start seeking other people. That being found means you become a finder. And that leads us to the next point, which is the work of evangelism. The work of, of giving people the good news. That's what evangelism means, right? When we do evangelism, it's not about persuading people. It's about telling them something. It's about giving them news. It's about introducing them. So notice what happens next. And I love this. Verse 40 says this. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So one of the two was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Remember, by the time of this writing, Simon Peter was probably pretty famous in the church. That's why Andrew is sort of attached to him. They want you to know Andrew is important because the fact his, his brother is very important. But also it helps us to understand that Andrew, who's relatively unimportant, was crucial to Simon Peter actually becoming a Christian. Were it not for Andrew, Simon Peter wouldn't have become very famous in the church. So notice what it says in, in verse 41. It says, he first found his brother. And, and again, if you want to get very literal about the Greek there, it says the very first thing he did. In, in other words, he was, he was found by Jesus. He understands Jesus as Messiah. And it says the first thing he did was find his brother. That he could not help but find someone else, but seek out the one who is most close to him. And there's a principle there. Who are those who, who, are, who are most likely uh, to be impacted by your witness to Jesus? And it's those closest to you. Right? I, I remember like when, when I was at uh, Eli Lilly, uh, they sent a rep from the, from the national office. And it's actually a, a really a privilege this big sales rep to come and he's Camille my manager said Tommy this guy's going to ride with you next week and that, that's like you know he's going to give me special training he's going to going to do all this stuff and I found out in the process of conversation that he was a Christian and we were getting in my car and right before we got in my car I said hey Matt was his name I said one thing I said when we go to see our doctors don't don't be a Mexican missionary on me and he said what 
And I said, you know, people in churches oftentimes, they never tell people about Jesus, and then they take a short-term mission trip to Mexico, and they're handing out stuff all the time, and they're really just causing more trouble than good, because they don't know anybody. And I said, so when you talk to my doctors, I'd appreciate it if you kept your mouth shut. And he was like, but I'm supposed to be training you. I said, well, we'll figure it out, but I don't want you to ruin anything. You see, the people that are most likely to understand us are people who know us. So he first and goes gets his brother, Peter. And what does he do? He simply tells him the good news. We have found the Messiah. We don't know if Peter objected. We don't know if Peter had any questions. But he says, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. In verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. That's it. He didn't argue. He told him the good news and brought him to Jesus. And there's a principle here as well, is that people are not, not won by argumentation, generally speaking. People are won. They're, they're not won with arguments about Jesus. They are won by encounters with Jesus. In other words, you can argue with someone about Jesus all day long, but until they actually encounter him, usually nothing changes. And so Andrew brings him to Jesus. And which, by the way, if you read the Gospel of John, every time the name of Andrew is mentioned, he is bringing someone to Jesus. Right? The boy boy with five loaves and fishes, he was brought to Jesus by Andrew. And and so on. So, all that to say. um, Basically, notice that when you get to verse 42, it says, He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas which means Peter. And that passage almost makes me laugh because what we know about Peter is what? He's loud. He always has something to say. He's unpredictable. He's volatile. And Jesus doesn't even let him speak. Andrew brings Peter to Jesus and Jesus does the work. Andrew brings Peter to Jesus, and Jesus changes Peter. It's not Andrew's responsibility to change Peter. It's Andrew's responsibility to bring Peter to Jesus, or Simon to Jesus, and Jesus changes the name of Peter. And it's pretty amazing. He says, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas. In, in other words, you right now, Jesus doesn't say this, Peter. You're unreliable. You're volatile. You're loud but you are going to grow into this thing that will be the rock of the church, that your name is changed. And in changing your name, your whole character, your whole being is going to be changed by me. Peter was changed by Jesus because his brother sought him, found him, and brought him to Jesus. You see, the work of evangelism is simply that. It's finding those we know, bringing them to Jesus, and letting Jesus do the work. When is the last time you've done that? For anybody, it's pretty simple, isn't it? I think most of us are afraid, like people are going to argue with us and we're not going to have the right answers. And you know what? At the end of the day, you don't need to have the right answers. All you got to do is bring and point. Peter, meet Jesus, and then back up and watch what happens. Which leads to the next point the call of the gospel. Look at verses 43 through, I don't know, 46. Verse 43 says this, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
So notice first, it says the next, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, why is Philip so significant here? Who is Philip? When, when you realize who Philip is, you begin to understand at some level the mission of Jesus even better. So Philip, on one hand, is a fisherman. Fishermen were notoriously sort of irreligious. Fishermen were, were notoriously sort of foul-mouthed. Um, Philip, we know, was those things. He was from Bethsaida, which literally means fisher town. And Philip, most commentators would say, is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. In other words, Philip, at best, is an average guy. He's, he, he's, he's going to be a disciple, but he's not like Peter. He's not extraordinarily gifted. Every time Philip opens his mouth, it's to ask a relatively dumb question. Or it's to ask a question that everyone else is afraid to ask, but Peter's the only one stupid enough to ask it. Right? Remember in John 14 when Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot come, and he's giving all this sort of flowery stuff, and Peter's like, <laughs> Philip's like, Jesus, we don't know where you're going or how to get there. Like, how? What's, what, what's the way to get there? Remember Jesus' response, I am the way. Oh, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? So Philip isn't the smartest guy. He's not the, he's not the, he's not the slick guy. He's not the gifted guy. And Jesus goes to this guy the last person that a rabbi would ever invite to be a disciple. You see, typically for rabbis, disciples would seek them out, and they would present credentials, maybe their family lineage and all those things, and the rabbi would say, hmm, maybe I'll take you, maybe I won't. Rabbis certainly didn't go around uh, sort of shilling and trying to pick people up, trying to get disciples, and they certainly didn't go for people like Philip. And yet, Jesus goes to, to Galilee, he looks at Philip and says, follow me. In, that, in that, those words, follow me, there's both an invitation and there is a command. The question is, what will Philip do about it? But also we need to realize that that, that command to Philip is unqualified, and that's important. As you look at the, the call of the gospel, the call of the gospel is always unqualified. What do I mean by that? Jesus doesn't pass by Philip and look at him and say, follow my teaching, follow my example. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, follow me, right? You, uh, I, I have found you, now you follow me. That is, that is where it starts with Jesus. Will you follow him or will you not follow him? You know, when, when Judy and I moved to Seattle and we planted a church in Capitol Hill, I would get lots of questions like this. People would say, hey, pastor, can I be gay and be a Christian? Or, hey, pastor, can I live with my girlfriend and be a Christian? I remember that when we first got here, it was in the 90s. It was before the internet was big, and there was a guy who actually sold men's magazines, if you know what I mean. He was a sales rep, and he said, can I be a Christian and do this? And to all those people, I would say the same thing. I would say, you're asking the wrong person the wrong question at the wrong time. Say, what do you mean by that? And I'd say, Jesus always asks the first question. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? Yes or no? If you say no, then your question is irrelevant. If Jesus says, will you follow me? And you say yes, now you get to ask your question. You see, what we try to do is we try to qualify that which Jesus doesn't qualify. Jesus doesn't say, Tommy, if you're good enough, follow me. 
Tommy, if you're straight, follow me. Tommy, if you're, if you're not living with your girlfriend, you can follow me. Tommy, if you're doing, you can follow me. Jesus doesn't do that. He just says, follow me. Let's go. And at that point, we have a decision to make. An unqualified call has been answered. Are we going to answer that call? Will we follow him? And what happens in, in this particular story is, yes, Philip follows. It says, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Notice it doesn't even, it just assumes Philip got up. And it says in verse 45, what Philip having been found, what does he do? Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now even from the, so on one hand, you got to give it to Philip for going to find his friend Nathanael. Because if Philip was, was irreligious and didn't know the Bible and didn't, didn't go to synagogue very often, Nathanael apparently is just the opposite. And Philip, bless his heart, tries to persuade his buddy Nathanael and in some ways actually makes things worse. Because if Philip knew Nathanael well and he knew the Bible well, he would have just said this, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. Period. Just stop while you're ahead, Philip. But he keeps going. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Well, Nathanael, where it says, remember when Jesus says, Nathanael, I found you, I saw you when you're under the fig tree? That's a rabbinic euphemism for reading your Bible or, or meditating or what we would call having your quiet time. And I'm guessing he was reading maybe the story of Jacob and his ladder. We'll see in a minute why I think that. But nonetheless, he says to him, we found the one. Like basically, you're always reading that Bible. We found the one whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So here are two people. The first person is sort of the irreligious person who really has nothing to offer, Philip. Jesus calls him. And the second person, what's Jesus going to do with a skeptic? What's the, how do you answer a skeptic? Do you, do, was Philip in any way prepared to answer that question? I don't think he was. And so not being prepared to answer the skeptic's question, what does Philip say? Philip said to him, verse 46, come and see. Come and see. I can't argue you into the kingdom of heaven, Nathaniel. I can't answer all of your questions. I, I, I don't know, you know this or that. You know, I don't know if there was 24-hour creation days or, or billion-year creation. I don't know any of that. Come and see. Ask him. Encounter him. And he's the one who will either persuade you or not persuade you. So he says, come and see. In verse 47, says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Now, it's interesting that um, Jesus yells, you know, and an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Obviously, this is a reference to Jacob. Right in Genesis chapter 28 and earlier, Jacob means deceiver. He's the father of Israel. And Jesus is saying, you know, in this, it, it, you, Nathaniel, it finally an Israelite in whom there is no deceit or in whom there is no guile. That he's skeptical, but clearly he's an honest skeptic. He wants to find out the truth and he's willing to consider the truth honestly. And so Jesus sort of drops this little Jesus bomb on him, you know, before you were, would, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel can't believe it. Bam, he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. 
it's very interesting that these words that he uses are very politically loaded. Remember, they were all expecting Messiah to come and take over and kick out the Romans. Son of God would have been the, how the emperor referred to himself. Right? And king of Israel, of course, would be how Herod and Herod's family referred to themselves. And, and Nathaniel says, you are the son of God and you are the king of Israel. And Jesus very quickly doesn't shush that, but he, he turns that to something more positive. That all that political stuff isn't going to be helpful here. It isn't going to be helpful now, those political designations. And so he changes, he says, he says, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man could have been, it was, it was a little bit ambiguous, at least from the Old Testament. It, it could have been like from Daniel, like the Son of Man who comes in all authority, or from Isaiah, the Son of Man who is crushed. Either way, it's not political. And he says, Nathaniel, here's the thing. You believe because I told you I saw you under a tree? He says, you're going to see greater things than that. You're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, the thing for which Jacob only hoped like Evan Hansen, you are going to experience. The thing that he only saw in shadows, you are going to see in reality. You are going to see the, the link between heaven and God, right? The, the, Jacob's ladder was, in a sense, it was his foreshadowing or this, this picture of God and earth, the heaven and earth being linked together somehow, that somehow we would be able to transcend our earthly existence and have a relationship with God. And Jesus is saying here, I am that link. I am that ladder. I am the way that you have a relationship with God and you will see greater things than these. Let me wrap it up with this first question for you have you been found like really have you been found have you had an encounter with jesus or are you just visiting church and you're like yeah i thought i'd come seems like better to be religious than not to be religious it sort of is in some ways but have you been found do you know jesus if you don't talk to someone Talk to someone after the church. Come talk to me. Deacons, we are going to be up here praying after church. Talk to one of them. If you, if you don't feel like you've been found, talk to someone. And the second question is, 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 if you answer, yes, I have been found, then who are you now finding? Have you become a finder? If you have been found, who are you finding? Who are you bringing? Who are you inviting to have an encounter with Jesus? Typically, that happens in the context of, of worship, but it doesn't have to. It can happen in the context of Starbucks. It can happen in the context of your house. But having been found, whom, who, who are you finding and inviting and bringing? Because you never know what might happen. And I've told this story. I've been here 17 years or so, and I've probably told this story four or five times a year. It's about 37 years ago, a girl named Delta Dawn Armstrong invited this wild kid from her German class to go to camp. He didn't go to church. He didn't do anything but party. He didn't do anything but get in trouble. He was going to join the army, so he, did, he fell asleep during his SATs because he didn't even care. And she said, why don't you come with me to this camp? And on the first night of camp, I became a Christian. And everything changed. That was in South Florida, by the way. So somehow God uses this blue-collar kid from South Florida ultimately to be a church planner and pastor in Seattle. 
You never know what might happen. You never know who those around you, what God is going to do with them until you actually invite them and bring them. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that as we consider the Gospel of John that we would more understand how, how much and to what depths you have gone to find us and how much we should be and should desire to find others, those your sheep. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.